Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Consulting with Authority. This is your host, Scott Cantrell, uh, joined by a new acquaintance of mine who, as soon as I talked with him from our first conversation, I knew I would love uh, to be able to interview him um, so all of you all could listen and learn uh, from Rodolfo Santa Maria, who's here with us today. Um, Rodolfo, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really glad to have you here. Um, I should tell everybody that you are a transformation and operations strategist and consultant, and you've done a tremendous amount of work. We talked a little bit about your experience last time. And um, uh, first of all, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast and learn a little bit more about how you got to where you are today. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm, I'm very happy just to really have this conversation because uh, it's important really uh, for everybody to understand where are we at. So as for me, I have been in an operation executive for more than 25 years, and driving multi-million dollar business transformations and end-to-end supply chain and operations and manufacturing, where um, I was able to support the growth, uh, the innovation and maximizing growth in, uh, in building market share, because that is what is important today in a highly complex business climate. Uh, domestically and internationally, because international is more challenging, as you know, and this is uh, part of my expertise and, mm-hmm. and where I'm really thriving. I have the capacity to formulate innovative solutions, uh, large and small uh, businesses, from startups all the way to Fortune 500s, Fortune 100s, and I had the chance also to go in multiple industries, um, glass manufacturing, uh, capital equipment manufacturing, chemical manufacturing, uh, also very important for international trading, that is uh, most of uh, Singapore, Asia, Australia. So most of these uh, areas in the world is where I really, really thrive. So for 35 years, I've been doing this. I've been coaching and also helping companies in order just to be successful in what they want to achieve. Uh, that <clears throat> That's phenomenal. And obviously, you know, the, uh, the experience that you have is quite quite expansive uh, and quite impressive. Um, what I'd like you to do, if you would, is tell a little bit, uh, tell everybody uh, the main focus and work that you're doing now in the consulting role. Because I know you've you've done just about everything in business and you talked about uh, the nature of, of your work leading to this point. But um, in terms of either existing client work that you're doing now or the types of organizations that you work with and, and where, where you're meeting them today. Yes, one, one important thing is uh, I just came out of a transformation for a private equity company. Mm-hmm. So it was a very interesting, challenging, uh, because it was during COVID. Yeah. So it was also people, a lot of unknowns, a lot of uh, uh, really didn't want what to do at the time. So Zoom have been for a while, meaning Zoom, what you and I are doing now is conference, international conferencing and remote conferencing. Right. So it was the first thing that people start to be challenged with. Uh, people that were not accustomed to, to new softwares, to new way of doing business, especially for sales, especially for the C-level uh, executives, where they're used to shake hands and having all, all of that. So the human, uh, the human communication is what I was just working on. And especially my... My expertise was in human conversation, human interaction, also with the operational side. There is something today called Industry 4.0, the Internet of Things. So what I'm doing today is just helping companies to start to understand 
where this, what, what is the Internet of Things? What is industrial Internet of Things? How they communicate with each other? So this is for the private equity and have to really uh, help them to understand that from the operational point of view, tactical and strategical. Uh, again, COVID just put a big wrench in it. So it was a very a hybrid piece. For international, we are used to being remote because, yeah. as you know, travel has been um, expensive. And so one of the things that we did uh, maybe four or five years ago is just to establish a way of communicating remotely. So you had maybe three or four companies that were there so you can really have conversations remotely. Today, you have plenty of things, Teams and, right. and BlueJeans and Zoom. So what I do too is just to help companies in order to, to really get used to the re remote. They used to remote, meaning that when you have a strategy or a tactical and you have to train somebody, uh, before it was uh, on a board and you can have a lot of interaction. And now in Zoom, you have people with distractions, just getting that, uh, getting that, let's say, cadence is more difficult. Right. So this is this is what I do. This is my last, uh, maybe, let's say, the last quarter that I've been doing after I, I left that. So, and the other big piece in here is still doing some of the, spin-off of one of the companies that are now uh, getting into the market. So I'm helping them to do all of these bridges from big mothership to being standalone. And this is a very, very different yeah. mindset. Because people, understand, people think that just doing business as usual is the right way to go. So these are the two big areas that have been really focusing on and try to, to really develop the uh, categories and the strategies that you can just be successful just going into the market today. Understood. Understood. And one of the things that we'll talk more about, I want to dive deeper into in just a minute, is your authority and expertise in the international space. Because I, I know that there'll be a number of listeners and viewers who, um, you know, probably, uh, well, without a doubt, they have expertise and skill sets and talents that would be incredible to leverage internationally, but they really don't even know kind of where to begin or how that market works. And so um, we'll, we'll dive into that in just a second. Um, sort of profiling the nature of, of your, you know, of a given engagement. Um, you know, obviously what you do is, you know, you're working on so many different levels. You're working at the strategic executive level. Uh, no doubt you're, you're getting into the tactical implementation piece of this. If you're focused on transformation and ops, then certainly, um, it's one thing to it's one thing to have the strategy of change. It's another thing to have the implementation of change. Um, in terms of that part of 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 your work, how do you? Because as I know, this applies to so many people too. It's it's one thing to talk to a given CEO or board or an executive team and then say, okay, this is our vision. These are the goals and objectives we want to achieve. All right, now we need to translate that into actual you know, implementation uh, and uh, execution of those things that we want to achieve. I know that for many consultants, that's a challenge. Um, and uh, car carrying that nature of change, and you're just alluding to it, carrying the, the concept down to the tactical level where change actually gets affected can be challenging. In your experience, in all the different roles that you've had, what have you seen as the keys to, to 
making that transformation happen. In this case, transformation being going from a strategic executive level uh, plan and a and set of objectives to real world implementation. Yes, um, just starting with something very simple: diversity and inclusion. When you have an international market, you need to understand multicultural. You need to understand what are you going uh, through at that other part of the world. English is not, is not the only language. Right, so right. English is not the only way of doing things. So it is important to understand when you are an international, what is your counterpart? Who is your counterpart? Uh, what is the com- where is the company located? So, and this is the first thing that you need to, to really understand. So who's your audience? Where are you going through? Uh, the second big piece in here is the C-level executive need to understand that the transformation is a new way of doing things and also accept changes and understand that somebody else will know better than than they, they do. What this means is if a CEO does not understand operations, just to mm-hmm. give an example, and then an operation executive at the C-level comes in and try to do a transformation, this transformation become a challenge because this C-level executive does not understand the process. Right. And the process takes six to one year. But if you pretend like any sales that happens in maybe uh, a quarter, within a quarter, and you can sell and sell and sell and sell, but if the operations back office is not set up, right. you will not sell anything and you have a wrench inside. And right. you can change executives as you wish, but if you don't have this mindset, and this is the important piece to really move forward, that they need to understand. And the third one is if you have a you have to have a consultant that have been going through the ranks. What this means, you have been on the floor level and you're going through the ranks all the way to a C-level executive. Uh, so can really understand how to navigate going into a C-level or going into an operator. There is something called the Hawthorne effect when some consultants goes into the floor and do observations. When you are observing somebody, this somebody is executing the best of their abilities. Right, exactly. today. So the important part here is when you do an assessment or discovery, you need to do it several times, different questions, surveys, many different things, because those are the big three challenges that I see when you try to do a business transformation. And international is exponential. Why? Because you are not there. Yeah, you are not yeah. there. And in my mind, being a Lean Six Sigma Master Black Belt, I have a frame of mind that is very structured. However, it's very flexible at the same time because I can assess the current state, mm-hmm. pass that information to the, to the executives or the, any rank, pass that information to the floor, receive that information back, translate that into an easy way to do, as you mentioned before, a good, solid, step-by-step implementation plan. Mm-hmm. Because again, many people may say, oh yeah, like today, but use buzzwords. Oh, supply right. chain is in a risk, having a big issue. Okay, so how you fix that? Right. <laughs> you have to really improve the supply chain. Well, supply chain has five different things. 
start with procurement and logistics, warehousing, distribution, delivery systems. So you need to have somebody that, again, is knowledgeable and going through the ranks. When you, when you said what kind of consultant we need today is somebody that can really go in and get the ground running. Why? Because he has been there or she has been there. And then when a CEO asks for a proposal, well, you have to be able to, instead of having 40 slides presentation, is present, present your view in a couple of slides, an executive summary and an implementation plan. Mm. And this is the way that these four things just working concurrently. Understood. Uh, so just to recap, because I think that's, I mean, that's like gold uh, to someone who's doing, uh, you know, working on, and here's the deal. Um, I'm sort of from the school of thinking, um, and I read Alan Weiss's books, the consultant's consultant. And one of the things that he always talks about is the consultant's job is to improve the condition of their client, whatever that means, right? It can mean lots of different things, but what I'm hearing you say is that if you truly want to improve the condition of your client in today's world, there are these core elements that are that are critical. One is um, I wrote down cultural empathy. You said knowing your audience, but I, I think what you described was was cultural empathy, understanding where they are and meeting them where they are, as opposed to trying to, um, you know, put a square peg in a round hole, so to speak. Right. Uh, two was making sure that the C-level decision makers and strategy and, and managers who are in that who are involved in that project, they have the right mindset um, and that they're open and willing to realize they may not always have the right answer. They got to be willing to listen to other people who are, you know, have, have expertise in the area. And then the third one, which is really fascinating to me, uh, but it makes perfect sense is this gets to the implementation piece. And what you're saying is that you have to be immersed in the organization. You have to see what's going on all the way through the organization. You can't just stay at the top and expect that you can figure out what needs to happen on down the chain. And you can't just look down the chain and expect that that will automatically work back up the chain. And so going through all those different things and, and being immersed in that um, makes perfect sense. And then what I'm hearing you say is that that work that we just described is use the word exponential, exponentially more difficult, can be exponentially more difficult on the international stage because of geography, right? Because of distance and working remotely with someone. Um, the other thing that, that I just wrote down, right, as you were wrapping up, and I'd love to talk more about this, uh, is, is this concept of crafting a compelling proposal for an organization. And I know this seems maybe like a small thing, but it's really integral into a consultant's ability to not only win business, but to effectively communicate what they're trying to achieve for a client. So you mentioned that, and there are a lot of consultants, even very large consulting firms who specialize in the 40 or 60 slide uh, presentation or proposal decks, right? And it's sort of just, we're going to show you everything we can do. And we're just going to, uh, basically, we're going to stay in your boardroom until you until you sign the document, then we'll leave, right? Um, but I'd love to kind of tap into your mind. What do you imagine is, are the, you, you alluded to them, maybe break it, we can get down to a little bit more detail. In terms of a proposal like that, where you've got um, high-performing executives and decision makers 
who they don't they don't need nor do they desire their time being wasted at all. They have other things to do. Um, they they want you to get straight to the point. Um, but at the same time, as a consultant, we know that part of our role is not just in affecting change, but in educating uh, the executive leaders into what change needs to be made and why sometimes, because sometimes they're not they're not where they need to be in that mindset standpoint. So maybe talk a little about the proposal process and um, how you think about developing a proposal for, for an organization like that. Thank you. And this is, this, again, saying that this is very important, the way that you communicate. Uh, I always try to use fourth level to seventh grade level English, mm-hmm. if it's in English. If it's in Spanish, the same way. If it's Portuguese, the same way. Yep. Why? Because words are more important than a very nice presentation yeah. to anybody. So the first thing is choose the right words. Choose the words that everybody can understand. Don't use your brain power, MBA or PhD, in order to really excel in a presentation that three or 4% of the population will understand. Just try to stay away from fancy words. Um, And this is mindset before putting the first slide together. When you put the title slide, okay, uh, you need to see in the first slide, I always try to say, okay, the title is the logo of the company that you're working with, because that's important, there's a sense of belonging. And the second part is what is the purpose of this proposal? meaning what is the description in a maybe five to six words, and then your name underneath with a date. That's the first. So, so what they see, what the audience would see is, okay, this is, let's say, Paiko, ADT, Stanley Black and Decker, uh, whoever, and yep. they see this first slide and say, okay, now we're talking about us. Mm-hmm. And then the second slide, the second slide is uh, an executive, what were you going to talk about? It's just a very brief uh, four-liner or four blurb, blurbs of what you're trying you're trying to present before the agenda, right? Okay. It's yeah. Of, of what you're going to do, and why? Because this is where you find common ground. But to this level and having a, a proposal, you have to have a legwork. What that means is you have to already. Uh, discuss what are the pain points, how they see the problem, what is the problem, all the four whys, why are this happening, why do we have, what are you expecting to see, Mm -hmm. Uh, what success looks like, and then you go and put it into your executive summary. Okay, we're going to discuss A, B, and C in a blurb. And then the, the next one, it will be an agenda that will show that you are a organized person and the time is important because you have to put time in each one of them. Because if this meeting is for 30 minutes, well, you have to distribute this 30 minutes and leave at least 10 to 15 minutes of questions at the end. Right, yeah. 40, 50 presentation will not do it. So what you're going to present in that proposal, go back into the mindset on the common ground. Because you are there, as you mentioned before, is what are you going to solve? They are bringing somebody from the outside because they feel either they don't have the time or they need the expertise 
right? In order to build it. And that expertise may be training at the end as part of the proposal that you will train their people so they can go in their merry way and do it themselves or a long-term engagement where you continue to evolve from different stages or phases that they need in order just to be in the next level. Mm-hmm. So this proposal is where, where you are. And one of the big pieces that you have to leave through the end is money. I am I want to charge $1,500 per day, $750 per day, uh, $200 per hour, because that immediately would moot the conversation. Yeah. It gets so them focused on the wrong thing, right? Yeah. You have to, when you have a, doing a presentation, some level of conversation happens. So part of the agenda will be next steps is the last one. The last slide is the next steps. So you put a timeline and the second piece will be proposal discussions or discussions. This is where you put your your time after the timeline. So you know uh, you have to do a discovery because that's the first piece that's going to happen, a discovery part. And then you go and start discussing the proposal, but on a later date. And sometimes it's just decision makers, maybe two people, three people, instead of the the whole C-level or the managers that you're presenting to. And that's my view of the proposal. And that works in any geography, Yeah. any. So it's, it's uh, something that you can use in the US, something that you can use in Europe, something that you can use in Asia too. Yeah, that's phenomenal. That's that's really great. And so they, um, I love how you're setting this up at the very beginning, uh, you know, um, so the title slide, but then breaking down the executive summary in the way that you did it. It's not, it's not uh, the executive summary. I've seen many of these where the executive summary ends up being three or four slides long and it's three or four paragraphs on each slide. And it's like, no, this is this. We're not writing a, a business plan. <laughs> you know, we're not. It's not. That's not. This is this. We're going to get to it. And so you're basically saying four bullet points that answer the key questions and move on to the agenda. Um, and then after w- one thing I want to go back to after the agenda is that where you um, right after the agenda is where obviously discussion happens amongst the group, but in terms of a potential, potential content in the presentation, this is where we might have, uh, and I'm, I'm guessing here. So correct me. Um, this is where we might have a, uh, the problem or challenge description, the, you know, the cost of that problem, the description of the solution, the value of the solution. And that's, I mean, that's a fact. I mean, I don't, I don't want to simplify it, but is that is that where that type of content would go? Yes. Well, thank okay. you. Thank you for that. That's part of the format uh, mm-hmm. of the presentation. And when you have um, the content of the agenda, the first thing to do is what success looks like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so this is where previous conversation had to happen. So you need to really describe some kind of uh, current state and why you want to to do this. And then um, going the next one saying, okay, what success looks like? And then, and the next one is how you get there. Mm -hmm. That's the the big piece. This is where the meat is going to be. So how you get there. And this is where you start talking about discovery, how how much time that you have to invest, how much uh, if you do interviews, if you do surveys, if this is a service company, uh, many things is, is, are different than being a manufacturing company. Sure. Yeah. Sales, sales are common, common threads, 
marketing common threads leads to leads to uh, again conversion conversion rate and all of those they're right. very similar. But when you're going to implementation for a process, this is where you really become more. The discussion can go south very fast. So that's mm -hmm. why you present. This is what success looks like, and this is this is this comes from previous conversation and from the CEO, the C-level uh, management that you're working with. And that's why the support that they will give you is important. Yeah, yeah. yeah when, that makes you, when, when you so, sorry, when you mentioned about the proposal, I, I just move a little bit uh, ahead on proposal. But before the proposal, there are several things that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And this is where the conversations uh, with the CEOs of what they want to do, why they want to hire someone, so that's part of the little discovery before you're doing a proposal. Uh, if you are having the right conversations, uh, going back to my conversation with the supply chain, well, you need to know if, if your counterpart understand what supply chain is. It's not that, okay, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you. And then you hire four or five people that will do the work for you. Right. The other thing, sometimes you need to get somebody to complement you, right. but it has to be spelled out in that proposal. Yep. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, what you're getting at is making sure that there is a level of, of uh, well, certainly a level of clarity, but making sure you're even managing expectations prior to the proposal. The idea being, let's get as much buy-in and much ex as much agreement and acceptance so that the proposal is almost incidental, right? It's, it's it merely an encapsulation of the previous conversations that have come before, along with okay, this is what the specific engagement would look like in the costs, right? That part would be new, um, but not unexpected. And at that point, you've already established what success looks like and the value of the project. And presumably, the investment that you would be charging, whatever that looks like, would be minuscule or a fraction of a fraction in terms of the value being delivered. So the proposal is, um, it's, not, it's not news, to to those executives, right? The content and information that's there is merely a, a summary and encapsulation of everything that you've talked about before. Yes, you mentioned something important here. So the proposal is after you work with your sponsor, I call it the sponsor. Yeah. You have a sponsor in the company. So this is where the CEO happens to be the COO. And then you work with that. So when, when you work with companies like McKinsey, PwC, Deloitte, Garner, they have that sponsor in-house. So you need to work with that sponsor to see what are they trying to achieve. Yeah. And then when the proposal comes with numbers and with it's more or less they are aware of that. The sponsor is aware of that, not to the point of let's say we need to invest two hundred and fifty thousand just to get a million two of savings, but at least you have something there um, based on the preliminary discovery that you have done. Yep. Discovery is very important because sometimes this discovery changes everything. Maybe the CEO doesn't know. Your sponsor don't know. The sponsor and the CEO don't know when you're going to discover it. So a discovery comes something that is very difficult to do when immediately it's a wrench in the system. So you need just to go back and say, well, in order to do this, you need to change. You need to improve, let's say, a module or an ERP module that you need to add. It's a WCS or WMS for, for warehousing. Or you need to have an ERP, uh, the third tier or second tier, uh, an Oracle or SAP or an Info or a D365. So it's something that it will be something, it's a bridge between what you discussed before to the proposal time to the whole audience that you have. 
Okay. Understood. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. It's about, it's about, uh, making sure they're capable of making sure that they're capable of allowing you to help them, (laughs) I guess, in a lot of ways. Right. Good. Um, this is excellent. And thank you for being so transparent with kind of how you think about this and your process, because obviously no doubt you've been on all sides of this, of this part of the business, right? You certainly given your own proposals and done your own preposal, uh, pre-proposal work. Um, and then you have no doubt seen and read a lot of, a lot of proposals, uh, some, some probably very good and others perhaps not. So the insight that you have is incredibly valuable. Um, Let's talk a little bit about, let's take one step back uh, from the proposal process, because we're talking about effectively the sales and conversion part of the process here with proposals and so forth. In terms of creating those opportunities on the front end, you and I had a, a, a brief conversation about this previously, and I loved how you were thinking about uh, business development. And I think it's crucial for consultants to think about it in the same way that you do. Um, and that is through network building, relationship building. But I'll let you speak to that. Uh, and, and so let me ask the question, articulate the question this way. From a business development standpoint, for um, a consultant, and it, it doesn't matter their expertise or their industry of focus, um, but for a consultant that wants to grow their business and be, you know, get into more meaningful conversations with decision makers, what advice might you give them? in terms of creating a situation where that's more likely to happen or creating a situation where they can make that happen? From the, from the business development perspective, uh, networking is very important. Mm-hmm. You have to create your reference. If you work with somebody in the past that has a, now in a bigger position and, and you were successful, so exploit that. Exploit that. Look, I am... Uh, Freelance now, I have a contract. Uh, if anything come your way, this is what I'm doing now. And you start doing networking. And that's important. LinkedIn is a good a good avenue. Mm-hmm. This Which incidentally is, is how we met, uh, networking on LinkedIn. Yes. And this is this 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 kind of interaction that we are doing is another way in order for people to start knowing you. Uh, and again, strongly accompanied by trust because you need to make sure that you trust your sources and you trust the, the people in the past trust you is both ways. And then that you have the capabilities because people, sometimes people oversell themselves. Right. Yeah. They are not successful. Yeah. So if you just to stretch the truth, let's say you have been a very good, excellent, to give you an example, a very good, excellent strategic sourcing vice president. Mm-hmm. Great high level. You came from being a, a buyer, a manager, a category manager. Then you go into purchasing manager. Then you go into procurement, and category management, um, director, and then you go into vice president. And then an issue with the supply chain start to happen, right? So mm-hmm. this person, of course, has been exposed of going back and forth in the strategic sourcing. But when you have an issue in warehousing, the strategic sourcing is not a force or a strong understanding of what's happening within a warehouse. Right. So, and then also tie in into distribution and tie in into logistics. 
the strategic sourcing sometimes work with, oh yeah, transportation companies, they negotiate the, the rates and they feel <clears throat> and they seem to understand that. Mm-hmm. But when the time comes and they say, can you give me an assessment of my near piece system? What do I need for the warehouse? And then, of course, for the strategic sourcing, you have a, a nice module, the A2 and A4, and, and, uh, and the COM for, for SAP, and that's great, right? And, and, and for, for Oracle. But, okay, when you go, how they connect in the back? How do you have this network in the back? When you have a yeah. ERP for finance, then you have, a, a, again, a, a Salesforce.com, and then you got the, the WCS and WMS and the Rate Shopper and the TMS, and then the Shopify and all of these things all of a sudden becomes an issue. Right. It's a different language to the wrong person. Yeah. For this consultant. And then at that time, he said, uh-oh, I need somebody to go with me. Right. And then immediately your revenues become half. Right. Right. Because you can't support so, that from a capability standpoint. Yeah. So that's why you need to be focused and laser focused on what you really try to do and, and look at your capabilities and expertise. And, and then capitalize on that. So this is really important. I was having a conversation just earlier today, actually, on this topic. And what I'm hearing you say um, is it's better. And, and again, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, so correct it. But what I'm hearing you say is, as a consultant, obviously establishing a good relationship, being trustworthy, worthy of trust in the first place, is is critical. We'll, we'll accept that. We'll accept that as a foregone conclusion, even though, unfortunately, it's not always. Um, but what I'm hearing you say is it's more effective from a business development standpoint to have a, a, a more narrowed focus and, a, and a, a deeper slice of expertise in a particular area as opposed to being shallow. Being shallow and wide is not as good as being uh, having a deep level of expertise. Hundred percent. Yeah. So, yeah. From a business development standpoint, especially if you want to work with these types of organizations that we're that we're talking about. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it, as I think about, it, of course, it makes it makes sense, right? Uh, because they need someone that can go all the way down the chain. Now, you talked about this before with with making sure that the project is effective in terms of immersing yourself in all levels. Well, the only way you, you got to have some level of expertise. To be able to do that in the first place, to be able to have meaningful conversations down down the chain, so to speak, um, that's that's fascinating. So, uh, extrapolating that advice, going one step further, for the consultants out there who want to work, maybe they're small boutique firms, maybe they're individuals, right? Individual consultants, and you know, on occasion they're having to go up against the McKinseys of the world and so forth. If they want to be effective going up against those larger consulting houses, or if they want to win business from larger organizations, one of the keys to that is being hyper clear on your deep level of expertise in a particular slice of the business. Correct. Okay. Correct. And that's and that's very, very key because some things, let's say, if one of my partners, let's say a consultant, uh, goes into a company mm-hmm. and finds something, his expertise is government relations. Okay. He doesn't have the expertise in operations or he doesn't have the expertise in supply chain. Yeah. So the three of us 
the expert in operations, the expert in supply chain, and the expert in government relations, we together go and have this conversation. Mm-hmm. Because this is where you discover more. And from the, the business development perspective, the sum of the three became five, six, or seven exponential that yeah. goes from one and doing one thing. That's why you need to know yourself. You need to have you are capable of. And then when somebody tap you, say, do you, are you willing to go with me to present it? Of course, let's go together. So it's something that a bigger proposal happened. When you go in a Fortune 500, you go into a Fortune 100, you go in a big private equity. And this is how you go because you by yourself, if you go strategic sourcing or you go supply chain or you go procurement, what well, is more narrow, of course you can get something, Right. But if you hear during your discovery that they have an issue in government relations or in marketing, oh, I have a partner that can help you with this. Yeah. So we together put this, another proposal, another conversation. So during the proposal and next steps, this is what you really list to us. Yeah. The other thing I love about that too, especially going in with um, strategic partners in that way that, that, that are perfect supplements or complements to the work that you're doing and and you to them and them to you. Um, I would imagine from a decision maker standpoint, it provides, assuming you're going in with confident, confident people, or or again, we'll make that assumption. You're not going to choose to work with someone that you shouldn't. Um, But I would assume from a decision maker standpoint that that brings a lot more comfort and trustworthiness of this group's ability to solve this problem, as opposed to this individual's ability to solve this slice of the problem, right? You can solve a more holistic, comprehensive issue for that organization. That decision maker is going to be more likely to say, yes, let's do the project with the three of you, as opposed to let's do this slice of the project with you, right? It seems like it might even be easier to win larger accounts in that way. Yes. And one caveat to that Mm -hmm. is, uh, very important not to pass along like the, the shotgun approach. Even you, you you develop this proposal for a specific thing, and then at mm-hmm. the end you're saying, oh, I can do this, 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 and that. That will be taken as a, a shotgun approach. Yes, right. But, uh, you can just really make sure to say, oh, by the way, by doing this, we discover that this contract can, can help you in the government piece. And by having government, you need to have this type of relationship. And, and by the way, I, if you are interested at one point, uh, having this contract and implement this contract and also implement a way to have this uh, government relations people that can do a proposal for you to get this going. Understood. Okay. Understood. So it needs to be um, in terms of creating that opportunity for strategic partners. It obviously should be uh, str- strategically derived, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it should come from the client, right? It should come yeah. from what you discover from the client. And now you're bringing a solution to something they've articulated as opposed to bringing a solution to something that you perceive uh, yes. only. Yeah. Let them ask you. Yeah. Good. That's, that's a, it's a fantastic note. Okay. Very, very good. Um, great conversation on how to win, you know, larger organizational accounts, because I know there are so many, I'll, I'll use the word small. It's not really the best word, but um, in, in terms of team size, so many very, very, very talented uh, consultants in the world they have wonderful expertise in a particular area, but they believe they have a percent. Maybe you can speak to this. They have a perception that they don't have a shot at winning the larger organizational accounts. Um, is that 
Is there truth to that? Is there not truth to that? Is that a self-delusion? Is it a misplaced perception? What's your what's your thinking on I'm a small, I'm a small boutique consulting business. There's no way I could win that hundred million dollar business over as a client or that billion dollar business over as a client. What how would you respond to that? I mean, let me give you one. I I, I will answer with one example. Mm-hmm. Amazon. Amazon. Amazon, okay. Amazon has a way of doing business where they they have to vet the consultants. They have been burned so many times that they don't hire small consultants. Okay, okay. So, yeah, what I just mentioned before is a way to do that and to really do a bigger proposal mm-hmm. with a bigger bigger company. That's Amazon, right? This We're talking about multi-billion, billion dollars, right? Right, right. Then you go into a, a company like Stanley Black & Decker, Right, so they have a lot of needs in the different SBUs. You have a specific expertise. Look at your references. Mm-hmm. Look at your network. Go see what the needs are because you can see that in their 10K when they file the 10K right. uh, just before the the uh, the quarter review. So you know where the pain points are. You know what they are spinning off. You know what they are uh, going through. So this is something that you find, oh, by the way, they are going through this transformation here. So you'd find somebody in that area and a reference say, hey, remember me or remember that we talk together in this, this, this and that. I am being, again, by myself now. And this is, I have been, um, increased my background in these areas. Can, can we just meet or can you refer me to somebody that can just really offer what I have? You may have a shot. And I can tell you, I have been at the other side. Mm-hmm. I've been hiring either McKinsey or I can hire one person. Yeah. Because these things, and sometimes when you hire a person, you have a better, uh, let's say, turnaround than having a McKinsey because McKinsey is long-term and yeah. big shots and, and different way of uh, doing the, the work. I'm not saying that is bad, but it's a different approach. Right, yeah. And um, and again, you can also work for McKinsey or for PwC as a subject matter expert. Okay, yeah, of course, yeah. It's something that you can explore too. I I just did maybe a couple of months ago. I just did a test for a second, third-tier company, right? To see they were needing a, a consultant, having a, and I just did it for for, for kicks to see what the process was. Yeah. And when this when these consultant companies hires somebody, let's say at my level or a, a little bit of lower level, even a director level, they expect that you go down to make Excel analytics. Okay. That's a no no. Right. That's a no no. So this is something that was very good in the nineties. That was very good in the early two thousands. To that, what you need is somebody that knows the processes. Yeah. It's not it's not doing an Excel worksheet. Right. Right. Doing a, or doing a presentation in 60 minutes. Right. No. Doing analysis and uh, doing graphs and no, no, yeah. no, no. So that's why you need to put yourself of what you want to do. If you want to do uh, as a consultant a Again, there are plenty of those. You are an expert in uh, data analytics. Right. I manage data analytics. I do data, I interpret data. However, 
I can hire a consultant for doing my data analytics. Right. Yep. I usually did. I had a person for 60 days after my discovery. They did the analysis. They gave me the data, analyzed the data, and we go from there and do the proposal. Sure. Sure. This is the mindset, going to the mindset and and for what you're good at. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I want to, as we get close to the end of our interview, this time has flown by. It's amazing. I have three full pages of notes already. Um, so this is, I, I know that everyone else listening has taken away a lot of value. At least you should have, if you've been paying attention, but whether they have or not, uh, Rodolfo, uh, this has been fantastic for me. So thank you. Um, obviously you have a background with large organization transformation and operations. Um, you've certainly been involved with, and no doubt worked with smaller organizations, either in the role of a consultant or, um, you know, just in just through professional life, uh, knowing the the challenges and objectives that an independent consultant would have. When I say independent consultant, I'm not necessarily just talking about solopreneurs. It may be they may be a solopreneur, but they may have a team of you know uh, twenty or thirty or even forty people. But they still have these same challenges and objectives that that you know smaller even smaller organizations would have. What advice from a operations or management standpoint might you give to a consulting to an independent consulting firm like that if they want to become better at at what they're doing and who they are if they want to grow their firm more effectively and I know that's that's a really it's a really broad question so we're making certain assumptions we're making assumptions that everybody has the same common types of challenges and the same common types of objectives obviously it'll be different case by case but in generality what uh, what advice might you give to them based on your expertise i'm really glad that you asked me these questions because i had the chance maybe 5 6 years ago when i asked a consultant what what is needed what do i need to do in order to get a consultant and people the mindset usually is, oh, if I tell you, I'm going to lose the business because uh, my greediness doesn't let me pass that information to you. Right. <laughs> That's true. So instead of really collaborate. So one of the things that I'm finding out around, there is no specific training for consult- consultants, what you just mentioned. Yeah. No. I am a PhD, I, I teach at universities, and one of the things that I, in one of my classes, I, I have a chance to, to work for John Hopkins University mm-hmm. uh, with uh, public servants. So the important piece in here is really to pass along how to make decisions, how to look, your, uh, how to look for, let's say, opportunities. And when I say for the private side, you are a private citizen, you are a consultant, it's very difficult to get business. But you know what? It's, a, it's not going to Dale Carnegie and have, uh, or, or to Robbins and having how to sell and all these things. This is a different animal. Mm-hmm. This is a different way. Go back into what I was saying before is the trust. You have to analyze yourself or you're good at. It doesn't matter if you did it for a big corporation or a small corporation. I work for a startup. This startup for me was great because, again, really put me in the mindset where I have to do the whole work from A to Z. And I was able to do that. 
Yep. Okay, I was dealing with the specific suppliers, develop that supplier, bring that supplier, manufacture it somewhere, bring in that uh, product into launch and, and the introduction and all of that. So it was, it was great. So what I say to the consultants out there, you can do it. If you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. I'm pointing back to the future here. Yes. That's, that's important. You When you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. I saw this movie in 1986. Mm-hmm. But they were in 2021. I didn't have anything in 1986. I was reinventing myself. I was, uh, let's say, a transfer to the U.S., different language, different way of doing business. I got an engineering degree overseas, came here and didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know what? I put my mind in reinventing myself. I hope I explain myself in English as well as Spanish now. But uh, the important part is you never, never, never take your mind away of what you want to achieve. Mm. Because if you put your mind there, you can do it. You can achieve it. And But you need some guiding light. Let's say I, I give you a, a, a lantern just to go and find your way. But this is what you need to do. That's really excellent. To yourself and be positive and just put your mind to it and accomplish that. You can get it. You can get it. Small or big. I love it. I love it. I think that's fantastic. And that's a great way. That's a great note to end our interview on. Um, Yeah. Never take your mind away from what you want to achieve. That's pretty much sums it up. I think that's fantastic, Rodolfo. Um, Again, I just want to thank you so much for uh, carving out some time today. And if people want to learn more about your work, maybe they've got a referral for you. Maybe they're interested in collaborating with you in some way, if that makes sense. Um, what's the best way for them to find out more about you and what you do? How can they potentially get in touch? Um, they can contact me directly in my email is my last name mm-hmm. dot first name Santa Maria dot Rodolfo at gmail.com. You can visit me at the LinkedIn mm-hmm. is Rodolfo Santa Maria. And also I have a website uh, just for, for it's called Santa Maria dash associates dot com. Good. And also they can see in a, let's say in a way that that is what we do. Good. That's excellent. And of course, um, we'll put all that information in the show notes, everyone. So you'll be able to access it right here online um, just by clicking the links. Um, Thank you again so much for the time. This has been fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. For Consulting with Authority, this is Scott Cantrell, as always, wishing you all the best of success. Thank you for listening. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor of our show, Smart Solutions Media. Smart Solutions Media empowers business owners, consultants, and other independent professionals to easily attract better prospects and transform them into long-term clients. If you're a B2B consultant or service professional and would like to start filling your pipeline with better quality prospects, visit us on the web at smartsolutionsmedia.com to learn more about what we can do to help you. Be sure to complete this short two-minute accelerated growth scorecard you can find on the website and you'll receive a complimentary strategy session where we'll give you specific insights and recommendations to help you attract high-value clients. Until next time, make sure you are consulting with authority.